Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Hello again from Paul Hutton with another Highways Voices, and this week, it's London calling. We never saw a massive drop-off. What we have seen more recently is a a move to higher volumes in the interpeak period than you would previously have seen. We're seeing slightly busier weekends, and in the morning peak, we're running at about 90% of our pre-pandemic demand on the network. We talk network management with Glyn Barton of Transport for London in a capital podcast, It's Highways Voices from Highways News. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. So a wide-ranging chat with Glyn Barton to come. First, let's catch up with some of the stories that have been making headlines on our daily briefing from highwaysnews.com. And Adrian Tatum joins me. Adrian, what's been on our website that's really caught your eye this week? So the biggest story this week is from the Highway Sector Council. So the Highway Sector Council has developed a proposal to transform the industry to support delivery of government priorities and strengthen the UK economy as, of course, the country emerges from the pandemic. So we've been waiting to hear what the Sector Council is going to deliver. And what they've said is that in their proposal, they're going to firstly concentrate on four key areas. So that is the environment and obviously supporting the transition to net zero. Innovation, supporting highways transition to digital, particularly across the local and strategic network boundary, which is really important. Skills, which is never far away and and a challenge that has been around for more than a decade. And of course, the model that we take into this industry and identifying ways in which the sector can support the government's project speed, which hopefully will will lead to a five or or 10-year sector deal, which was the whole kind of purpose of, of setting up the Highway Sector Council in the first place. Other interesting stories this week, first of a kind connected curb project to help EV charging and also alongside that largest growth in EV charging systems, according to government stats. That's a story we've been working on with with one of our partners, transportandenergy.com. TfL considering cycling upgrades in Lambeth and Southwark, turning them temporary into permanent. And um, interesting to see that e-scooters have been approved for a trial in London as well. I want to put a word in, Adrian, for one of our Highways News supporters, Gaist, who are showing they're really committed to growing the industry as a whole by joining ITS UK as executive members. Uh, meanwhile, the new Dartford free flow contract goes to Imovis and Conduent, and one that could have repercussions across the industry, a global chip shortage, meaning 3.9 million fewer vehicles could be built this year. Where else might the chip shortage affect things in transport? We'll keep an eye on that on Highways News. We are your home of your daily briefing and all you need to know in the highways and transport technology industries make sure you're signed up highways voices with paul hutton and adrian tatum so to our guest of the week and one of the real transport leaders in the uk transport for london's director of network management glyn barton he leads the operations that keep london's traffic moving and his linkedin profile refers to his proven ability to work with senior stakeholders whilst providing strategic direction and leadership especially in times of change well what a year of change we've had so adrian and i started our chat with him by asking how the last year has been for him it's been different i think everyone's experienced the the changes in working environment and how you communicate with your teams and how you communicate with your customers and users of your network as well now 
in terms of how it's been managing traffic in London, I think the main thing to say was uh, I don't think I've ever experienced such a change so quickly in the composition of use of our network. All of a sudden, you know, commuting trips stopped. People weren't going into work, but people were going out and walking around our network. Many more people were cycling around our network and we had to respond to that very, very quickly. So using all the tools in our armory, things like traffic signals, changing the cycle time, so how long people have to wait at traffic lights, making sure that we're optimising for cyclists at those junctions as well. And then just also making sure the wider public transport network that we provide in London was as clean and safe and as reliable for those people who who still had to use it, our critical workers, etc. So it's been interesting. I think uh, we've all experienced the sticky mute button and we've all experienced internet problems. I think we, we, we've we come through that really quickly. I think the big surprise for me is how seamlessly it went, actually. The thought of having everyone suddenly move to working at home it was a difficult one to comprehend. And actually, I think it's gone really smoothly. So much so, actually, now that in our control centre in Southwark, we, we are allowing certain people in operational roles to work from home and manage instance with those people in the office. So I think that's a testament to, to how much things have moved on in the way that we work and our job now is to respond to the ever-changing patterns of use on our network and make sure that people can travel around as efficiently as possible. It's interesting you said about the change. I suppose other than potentially the introduction of the congestion charge, there hasn't been any sort of step change in travel behaviour like it when you consider usually it would be a fraction of a percent here and there changing on the roads and you kind of see slow burning trends and then suddenly everything changed practically overnight. What sort of learning curve was it there? Well, I think the one saving grace when you think about it is that it wasn't the other way. We didn't all of a sudden see a boom in traffic and movement on our, our very busy network. So there was a little bit of time that was there for us to use to get our changes right. I think the real thing we had to respond to quickly was providing extra space for, for cyclists and extra space for, for pedestrians on our network. And I've never been involved in providing infrastructure on our network as quickly as we did. We installed a cycle lane on Park Lane, for instance, uh, from design to installation in four days, which uh, we've never done anything like that before. And things like extra pedestrian space on the network, very, very quick things to do. I think actually working with a supply chain, we were able to do things really quick because everyone saw it was in the public interest. And I think that, that was a, a key thing for us as well, you know, just that team working across the supply chain and internally to deliver those benefits, particularly on the active travel modes. And of course, uh, the low traffic neighbourhoods were a hot topic during the mayoral election. But what is rarely reported is no doubt the amount of hard work that went in behind the scenes to plan for them before they were actually implemented. I think the the LTNs, I think people tend to lose sight of what they actually are. LTNs have been our force for good on the network, but uh, I do also think that people aren't used to us making changes as quickly as happened We're in many of the uh, circumstances of LTNs going in. And, and just, you know, the fact that LTNs have, ne- you know, that you have low traffic neighbourhoods, you have traffic management measures, you also then have cycling spaces and walking spaces on the network, and all these things seem to have been lumped together. I think my experience of LTNs that have gone in around me 
designed by the borough, it has to be said, as opposed to TFL. It's been generally really positive, actually. There's one that's gone in outside where my son plays football and the experience of watching him play football is much nicer now. You don't have cars spinning around outside. There's a coffee shop that I'm able to just go and hang around outside now in the street because of that LTN. So... I do understand, though, the the feeling that uh, they do redistribute traffic very quickly. They do potentially put traffic where you don't expect it. You wouldn't normally expect it. And I think our our role is working with DFT to employ the measures that have enabled us with the temporary traffic orders, et cetera, experimental orders. So when these things do go in to put the right package of benefits realisation around them to enable us to make the, the decisions longer term around those measures. And I think... That's the right thing to do is to understand what the impact is on uh, everybody, not just those people immediately affected, but the surrounding areas of the LTN and to make the right decision on them going forward. Highways News has been following traffic volume reports throughout the pandemic. There's the Transport Technology Forum Digest that we ran on a weekly basis. Reports now are saying some cities are returning to pre-pandemic levels already, some aren't. What's your reading of the data that you're getting in London to, to what the network might look like come June? We never saw the significant drop-off in traffic that we saw on our public transport network during the height of the pandemic. And by its nature, the Transport for London road network is the strategic routes, the high traffic routes in and around London. So you wouldn't necessarily have expected that for key workers and for freight moving around our city. So we never saw a massive drop off. What we have seen more recently is a, a move to a higher volumes in the interpeak period than you would previously have seen. We're seeing slightly busier weekends. And in the morning peak, we're running at about 90% of our pre-pandemic demand on the network. So we're not quite back to, to where we were. And I think, you know, with the easing of lockdown, I'm not expecting, you know, a massive uptick in use of our, our road network because the majority of people in London don't commute by car, they commute by public transport. So hopefully we'll start seeing uh, people using our public transport and network and our active travel modes much more. People that have been using our network, you know, as I say, freight, trades, etc., will still be there. So uh, we're at 90%. I'm not expecting it to go, you know, much more above 100% than uh, pre-pandemic, but uh, We'll see how we get on. We have plans in place to, to respond as as needed. But uh, as I say, our, our modelling isn't showing us going significantly over what we were uh, pre-pandemic. You mentioned, Glyn, about the plummeting number of people travelling on public transport. And that obviously has led to many a news story about the government having to come in and add billions of pounds into TfL's budget to keep it going. Obviously, the Tube is a completely different part of TfL to where you work. But what has been the effect on the organisation as a whole of this sudden drop in revenue? What this shows is is how reliant compared to other public transport providers around the world that TfL is on uh, the fare box to maintain its, its services. And the impact has been quite stark. As you've said in the press, it's been quite clear that... Uh, Government has had to step in and help us out with funding to cover the shortfall in money that uh, we would normally have brought in from people using our public transport network. It's obviously meant that we are having to look at every penny that we spend across the business, not just in in the tube, but uh, on the bus network and on the road network where we have statutory duties, just to ensure we're absolutely doing the right thing and that we are 
adhering to the conditions that the government have set and given us the money to keep us going until the, the, the fare box returns. And hopefully we'll, we'll have a more sustainable funding model going forward. And we've t- seen reports about Crossrail 2 and the Bakerloo line extension being cancelled. But as far as the roads are concerned, Silvertown Tunnel Project is still ongoing. Yes, as, as far as I understand it, I look, you know, I, I sit here as an ops guy. I'm not a strategy guy. Uh, you know, that's for the people we are gazing into their crystal balls and looking into the future in, in terms of what demand is. But uh, we're in a situation where we have the committed Silvertown project, which is is going ahead. And we've had uh, a mayoral election recently and the Silvertown project was uh, under Sadiq in his last term and uh, he's been elected again. So as far as I know, that, that project is absolutely continuing. And uh, I look forward to seeing the benefits around the Blackpool area, particularly with, uh, you know, air quality. Uh, and the benefits that I can bring for that. We'll come back to air quality in a second, Glyn, but I just wanted to pick up on that. Now, obviously, I know that a servant of of TfL, you're not going to comment on politics whatsoever, but practically, from your job and the strategy of TfL, what does Sadiq Khan's election for a second term as mayor mean for the day job? Well, the day job always continues, and... You know, my job is to keep the network safe and to allow people to use it as expeditiously as they can. And I, I think that doesn't change at all. Obviously, there's a familiarity with the mayor. He's been in, in place for five years. You know, his team uh, have been in place as well. So there's a continuity element there. Uh, he has got, I think, some uh, quite stretching, quite interesting uh, manifesto commitments and uh We'll see how we get to deliver those together. So there's a, a little bit of continuity, but obviously, you know, if someone else had come in, we'd have been proactive in working with those to help them deliver their mayoral uh, manifesto commitments as well. One of the things that we've covered on Highways News more than anything, really, is sustainability and driving low carbon. And, and that's relevant whether you're talking about strategy or operations. So from an operations point of view, how does that filter down to, to some of the projects that you do and how you choose to choose to do them now i think you know we're, we're all regardless of uh, who you work for and the, the commitments of you know any mayor i think we're all very very conscious of ensuring that uh, we have a green future and that what we do is sustainable because you know we don't want to impact the future generations so well how does it feel with that you know in absolutely everything i think you know a couple of examples that i'd pick up one of them in terms of how we optimize our traffic signals We've, you know, we've had some fantastic examples of optimising signals using air quality data sensors in uh, Brixton and Putney to where we uh, see peaks in uh, harmful emissions there are able to keep traffic out of the town centres and, you know, alleviate the, uh, the, the pressures that come from, from those, uh, those toxins. So some fantastic just local examples of how you can do uh, local policies then, in terms of our procurement, our most recent procurement exercise, so uh, contract exercise in terms of uh, our highways maintenance. So we've just recently changed from LOHAC, the London Highways Alliance uh, contract, to our Works for London maintenance contracts. And uh, as part of that, we insisted upon a green fleet uh, and electric vehicles up to a certain tonnage with a, a, a switch over to, to full electric uh, as we go through the contract. So it, it absolutely, you know, it goes through uh, everything that we do now from those local local policy initiatives to more strategic uh, long-term contracts as well. And I've seen, for example, some local authorities, especially on their sort of more 
strategic roads as opposed to residential roads are replacing streetlights or turning off their streetlights for chunks of the night at least and putting in solar road studs is that sort of a a potential thing that tfl could be looking at doing maybe i'm thinking of some of the bigger roads like the a40 a13 um you know that sort of uh route i think we're in an interesting position as as tfl it's absolutely something that you know we we will look at i can't make any you know policy commitment here what we do have though obviously is our conversion to led street lighting that's going through you know through at a rapid rapid speed. I do think that we are slightly different to, to other authorities in that the majority of our, our roads are in highly densely populated areas and we do have to be conscious of that where with the speed of traffic and the, the lighting there. So uh, slight, slight differences, I think, but uh, you, you'd never rule anything out. Glyn, how has this new kind of way of working through the pandemic or different approach to working, how has that changed the way way you work with the boroughs and, and indeed the supply chain. I mean, we, you've, you've got some really good examples of working with companies across the supply chain, like Bosch, for example, to deliver projects recently in London. How, how, how will it change the way that you work with those? I'll be honest, I'm not sure it necessarily changes it massively. And actually, I think it, in, in some circumstances, it makes it much easier to collaborate because you're never on anyone else's turf. You're on virtual meetings at the moment, which, you know, helps to to make things much more even when you're, you're talking to people. I think that uh, collaboration, I think, is it's always much easier to do face-to-face. It's always much easier to do where you have that, that personal rapport and you can build that up. But in the, you know, the new way of working and, you know, this virtual environment, you are open to much wider collaboration. It's much easier to talk to people around the world to to understand what they're doing to you know we've been doing things like virtual site tours for instance you know it's much easier to to collaborate in a a wider way you can have bigger meetings you can bring more people in you can dial people in so I I think that there there are benefits I do think you know that just workshopping something and you know here's our problem how to bang our heads together you know grab a pizza, sit in a room and, and sort it out. That's, that's you know, not, not as easy. I think that uh, the thing that I've found, I think, most difficult, particularly, you know, with our, our borough colleagues is just not being able to, to go out on site and have the site meetings and, and look at, uh, you know, a specific part of the, the network. That's been much more difficult. So, you know, we've limited a lot of our site visits to safety critical only that does tend to stifle a little bit of the, the innovation that we've potentially seen previously. So it's a long-winded answer, but I think it balances up, actually. And I think, you know, there are, there, there are real pros for the way that we're working at the moment, but uh, there, are, there are some cons. And I think going forward, it's about getting the right balance uh, between the, the, the various ways of working. I think the partnerships that, that we've had and the partnerships that are developing, looking at some of our things around our new uh, fusion system, the, the traffic control optimizer that we're working with, with Siemens on, actually, a lot of that has been made much easier through virtual working. It's a lot easier just dialing somebody up and, and working through, through a problem. So there are pros and cons, but uh, you've just got to adapt quickly and make the most of it, don't you? The one thing that you must be really proud of is that London is still very much seen as having a world-class integrated transport system. How do we improve on that? How do we improve on it? I think 
the first thing we've got to do is absolutely make sure that we have a sustainable future to enable us to provide that world-class integrated transport system. And, you know, I've worked for, for TfL for, for 20 years this year, and I'm incredibly proud of, of what we achieve as an organisation. You know, in the operational world, I can, you know, absolutely say that when there's an incident or an event happening on network, we tackle it in a, a truly integrated way. And I, there aren't many people, you know, or organisations in the world that, that can say that. So I, I think we, you know, we have a, a really, really strong platform to build from. I think, you know, there are areas where we absolutely need to look uh, around the world and see, you know, where the pockets of best practice are that we can learn from, you know, things like uh, electrification of our bus fleet, for instance, we are hoping to be, you know, fully electric as soon as we can be. But, uh, you know, there are pockets around the world that are doing it slightly quicker. You know, how can we learn from them um, in terms of how we manage our road network? Again, you know, can we learn things from the rail the rail side of the business? And I think, you know, for me, that's that's one of the, the joys of working for, for TfL is, you know, because you are exposed to, how you know the wider transport industry operates you you have those cross learnings and you know some of the rigor that uh, is is around in the rail the rail side of the business i think absolutely you know is could be applied more in the road side of the business particularly you know dealing with safety incidents etc so i think we we've got a really strong platform we need a sustainable funding mechanism for the future but uh, i think we've got things that we can really build on and be proud of and you talked, Glyn, about uh, learning from other places in the world. And it's interesting, you talked about earlier on the, the modelling mixing in with air quality. And that set the little light bulb above my head of the project that Highways England and Oxfordshire County Council did on the A34 in Oxford about actually modelling in real time what's going to happen in the next half hour and then managing the traffic accordingly how when you're so busy with the day job can you be across that sort of project and other projects and and then how easy is it if you see it and think i really like that idea how easy is it for you to actually be able to implement it or do you have loads of hoops you have to go through first so i think there's a, there's a few few elements to unpack there i think Firstly, my role as a, a leader in this organisation is made much, much easier by having some incredibly talented individuals below me who are experts at what they do. And, you know, you can fully trust to just get on with managing the road network, you know, setting the network up, managing our, our, our control centres, etc., which, you know, frees, frees me up to do what you should do as a a leader in in the, this type of field, which is to look at the future, look at uh, what other people are doing, and bring it bring in that best practice. And I think so. That's the first element. So the second element in terms of going through hoops, I think there are various ways that uh, you can show innovation and you can do it quickly. We've been doing some really interesting things with our procurement exercises on our road lab, bringing people in to sandbox things quite quickly in the live environment. We've done some amazing stuff with our lane rental scheme where we've enabled pump priming of things like the sysbot uh, robots in the gas industry going in a little robot that goes in and lines gas mains under the running surface so you don't have to dig up the road so I, I think you know we have mechanisms in place and I think we're open to ideas and we're open to innovative legal but uh, innovative uh, procurement mechanisms as well. 
And I think we've proved that over the past years. Glenn, when you said you'd been involved in TFL for 20 years, it sent me back to when I visited a very small thrown together control room somewhere around the back of Victoria Coach Station. And did I think at the time where TFL would be in 20 years? Of course I didn't. But when I look back, wow, what a journey you've been on over those last 20 years. We could talk forever, Adrian and me, to you. So we're going to drag you kicking and screaming back on in a couple of months' time, if that's okay with you. But for now, thank you for being this week's Highways Voice. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Paul. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Before we go, it's time to tip our hat at another person or organisation doing good stuff because it's time for Adrian's Accolade. And Adrian Tatum, who have you gone for this week? My accolade this week goes to Amy and the team at Staffordshire Council who are working on the Live Lab Simulate programme, which is uh, an ADEPT and DFT programme that's been running for several years now to drive innovation in the sector and place an emphasis on that innovation on local authority roads. So what's been happening in Staffordshire is they've been installing these living, living walls. So these living walls are active green wall technology and they provide a barrier using plants and other materials that will hopefully soak up the harmful pollutants. And that barrier is obviously placed between the roadside and something else like a school, for example. Early trials have indicated that the installation of living walls in Newcastle, for example, start to reduce air pollutants through natural filtration in this system, which um, obviously reduce the, uh, the harmful levels of pollutants. So definitely the type of innovation that we're looking to promote on Highways News and definitely something that, that the wider industry should know about. So well done to Amy for winning Adrian's Accolade this week. And that wraps up our podcast for this week. We really do bring you the big names on Highways Voices and they don't get much bigger from a traffic management point of view than Glyn Barton of Transport for London. Next week, we'll be talking bringing multiple data sources into one when we look at city management with Swaco. But for now, don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about us and please join us again next week. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 